What's up? It's your boy Doggy Diamonds, and right now you're in tune with the Drop of Gem Show. Speak no evil and LEO. Hey yo, this is Phantasm the Tall Man from the legendary Cellar Dwellers crew, and I'm with my people, Speak No Evil and LEO. We about to drop a gem on. Salute. What up? It's your man Money B from Digital Underground, and you're chilling, and I'm cooling on the Drop a Gem Show with the homies, Spit No Evil and LEO. You bitch. Yeah, 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 you already know what the fuck this is. The most infamous hip-hop podcast on the planet. The Drop a Gem Show. Me, I'm your host, Speak No Evil. And I'm your host, L.O., the unstable genius. Peace party people on on Thursday evening. And we got today, we are in the second phase of the Drop a Gem Show. Um, You know what I'm saying? At the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there's definitely phase two for Drop a Gem as we just had the 100th episode with J. Rue the Damager. Shout out to that brother who, you know, call him from Germany on his time. And, uh, yo, tonight we got another legendary guest, and we go to taking it back to the Bay Area, keeping it in the United States. And, uh, yo, we got the legendary Money B uh, from Digital Underground, yo, and Raw Fusion. This is going to be fucking crazy. It's going to be crazy, man. Yeah, I, I, I reiterate your sentiment. Shout out to J. Rue, crazy. Phase two of Operation Take Over the Media di- Digital Media World, and uh, yo man, it's, it's, it's amazing, man. Let's uh, yo, let's give him a call, man. I'm excited to jump into this. Let me give him a call. Are you ready for this? Leo, let's do it. All right, Money B. Hello. Hello? Peace. This is Money B? Yeah, this is Money B. What's gracious? This is uh, Speak No Evil and uh, Elio from the Drop a Gem Show. What's going on, fam? What's good, brother? Popping. How y'all doing? I'm blessed, man. Good, good, man. It's an honor. Oh, absolutely. Now you hear my four-year-old in the background. It's all good. I got mine up, up there. <laughs> so it's, it's all good. It's a blessing, man. Absolutely, man. Thank you for doing this, yeah. man. I really appreciate this. Nah, absolutely. Um, so. let's let's jump right in, man. I know you you, know, you got stuff to do. Um, money, just you know, I know you are from the West Side, Oakland, right? Paint a picture of of growing up in Oakland, uh, very big city as far as you know the revolution. It was Harlem in New York, and you know Oakland was the other spot along with Chicago, but Oakland was a big deal with as far as the Panthers and the activism in the sixties were concerned. And uh I know your father uh was was down with the Panthers. So just talk about a little bit about right. growing up and uh and, and you know what that was like. Well you know, yeah, my father was in the Black Panther Party, so I I grew up in and around it. You know, I went to the to the to the school that was run by the Black Panthers. And um in the movie. <laughs> 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 and, uh, and, but it was, you know, from a, as a child, you know, that's all I knew. So, you know, I always say, like, you know, when you're six and seven years old, you know, I didn't know all the politics, but all I knew, I was surrounded by the, by the party member. You know what I mean? So, he used to come to the school all the time, wow. you know, I've, uh, and, you know, just 
the hoo-hoo of, of the opening chapter. I was around all the time. And then, you know, coming out of that to the 80s, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we, you know, crack was introduced to Glenn to counter the Black Panther Party. So we wanted to first- Hold on. What do you have to be quiet? Okay. Okay. Um, so, you know, I saw that as well. The introduction of crack in the 80s and, and how it affected the community and kind of destroyed the whole family structure and everything like that. I remember it vividly. So, you know, from that to that, from being around, you know, a whole community with with the revolutionary mind state trying to uplift the community to in a matter of three to four years the whole thing was apart you know what I mean from 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 the drugs that were introduced to the community so you know it was, it was kind of crazy but I but be in Oakland I experienced it all right you know I read originally that uh um, digital underground was supposed to be more politically minded because of the Black Panther influence. How come the group never really fully went that route and you know kind of followed the funk route, so to speak? Um, because if you remember in um in in, in the beginning of hip hop till probably. I want to say around the early 2000s, to say around when I, when I really noticed it, around the time 50 Cent came out, mm-hmm. that you weren't allowed to fight and you you had to be original. Right. So <clears throat> that was, you know, the, the, the whole revolutionary and conscious angle was what G's original plan was for Digital Underground. But once Public Enemy came out, and kind of took off with it, you know, up, can't do that, you know, because you couldn't copy. Then you had, you know, it would be considered biting. Or, you know, if, if, if one Slick Rick come out, you can't, it can't be a Slick Rick. You know, when EPMD came out, it couldn't be another EPMD. Right, right. You know, NWA, even though NWA just kind of meant what, they were doing in LA, but you still couldn't come out and be exactly NWA. And be five guys from, you know, with the same hats and blah, 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 blah. There had to be a twist to it. So not saying that we couldn't have put our own twist or put a twist to it. It was just like, you know, this is coming from Shock G because he, you know, it was his original vision that once they once public enemy took off with that, you know, they what he envisioned so it's like up oh, let's do something different or let's at least skew it in a different direction because if you notice in the original rounds music we always had an underlying message in the music we just kind of flavored it with the funk and with the more you know Absolutely. It's ironic because, uh, you know, you're talking about biting and everything. And you guys were so original back then when the whole gangster rap was going on. N.W.A. was really, you know, prevalent back then. And, uh, you know, Humpty used to say, you know, I like the bite. But it was it was just that was like tongue in cheek because you guys were so not biting anybody else. So that, that's kind of ironic. Um, 
Money, talk a little bit about how you specifically um, started getting into, into hip-hop as a kid. Like, uh, you know, started rhyming or, or, you know, I don't know if you were breakdancing or, or graffiti writing or anything. Talk a little bit about how you got into the, to the culture. Well, um, you know, I've always been into music, just my mom and dad. And, and I had a couple of cousins that had every record, you know, as far back as let's go you know what i mean like so they were they were maybe ages of five to ten years older than me mm -hmm. and so when i was seven eight they were 17 so they were in the group you know so every record from the early 70s so rap started you know i would be hanging around in those records and so um when it came on the scene you know, I had a, once again, my cousin who was just six years older than me, he would buy all the rap records. And I, you know, my family, I'm, I'm originally from Philadelphia. That's where I was born. Oh, wow. So I would spend all my summers on the East Coast. So I would be in Philly and New Jersey every summer. So I would be going to like the, the park jams and, and experiencing that and then coming home back to Oakland and like, wow, you know, I saw all that. But Honestly, the my you know, Money B originally was a DJ. That's oh. what I thought that it was gonna be. You know, a DJ and a and a a tagger or graffiti guy. Then I got into breakdancing. Wow. And Did you, have, you know, excuse me. No, no, no. Um, you know, with regards to the DJing aspect, did you have like any influences or idols early on with that in the graffiti aspect? Well, you know, just like I said, being from Philly, you know, you had Cash, uh, Cash Money, and yep. Miz, and uh, you know, all those guys, and and just even just listening to um, Grandmaster Flash and Wheels of Steel, you know, just mixing. I forget the name of that record. The Adventures of Grandmaster Flash, I think it was. Yeah, yeah. We just listened to that record, or even like you know, we go to the to the to the park jams or the or the parties at the rec, and somebody from the block would just record it. So we would sit down and sit and listen to a sixty minute tape. Somebody just cutting, dance the drummer's beat back and forth, and we just be jamming off of it. So really, you know, my first influence was just the party. Right. Get the party going. You know, it wasn't until a little bit later that, um, and I don't even know what made me first think that I could pick up a pen and start writing, but it it just caught me. And uh, um, I want to say my first rhyme that I actually let somebody hear, like I was probably writing from 13 or 14 years old, but it wasn't until I was like 15 where I actually put something on tape and somebody else heard it. And I think 10th grade, I did a, I did a talent show. And from there, you know, the rest was history. So I took second place in the talent show. And wow. I was like, Oh, they like it. You know, I was, I was like a, a mini celebrity around the school. And then, you know, from then it was like, that was it. Crazy. Wow, you know, people was telling me I had something. So, 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 so it goes from 
you know, you start to pen your lyrics, you know, you win a talent show, you start to feel, you know, good about your craft. So, so how does it go from that to, to meeting, to meeting Shock G? Well, before I met Shock G, I met DJ Fuse. Right, Raw Fusion. And, uh, yep. So, and Fuse was like the dopest DJ in, in say, in the Bay at, at, at the time. So you, you fast forward to 1988. Right. And we're out of school. Me, it's, it's, it's Raw Fusion. It's really MGM before. Right. But, wow. MGM became Raw Fusion. And we were doing talent shows and, And Jimmy, Chubby Master J, they had th- their first record. The first record was Underwater Rhymes with Your Life's a Cartoon on the end. And Your Life's a Cartoon was more of that social conscious, you know, socially conscious, political, right. which he wanted to do at first. But while we were doing talent shows, they were trying to promote that record and they were doing right. some of the same shows. But because Shock is a transplant from. New York by way of Tampa, Florida, and us from Oakland in the Bay, we would do these shows and see us, you know? And not to mention, Fuse was dope. He was like the dope fucking around. Mm-hmm. And uh, Shock needed the DJ. So he set up a meeting, you know, long story short, and he wanted Fuse to be his DJ. And Fuse, you know, basically was like, I'll rock with you, but we're a group. I go, mine goes. And that's really how it happened. You know, in the beginning, I wasn't really feeling West Coast rappers. Mm. He, didn't like, he didn't like the sound. He didn't like our, our uh, accent. You know, New York was everything. So, and me sounding, you know, sounding. Basically, he said I sounded like too short, which I. I just <laughs> you know, I don't say anything like too short. Right. So, I don't know. But to him, so that basically just tells you to him, those rappers were the same. It is. You know what's cr- <laughs> you know what's creepy yeah. about that is that yeah. you know you you say he's so New York influenced and so New York state of mind, but then when Digital Underground comes out, they become known for the P Funk influence, which is the you know the George Clinton kind of like the Bay Area sort of sound. It's like, like, well, how, 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 how do we transition to that? Well, I think that, see, but that's, that's not necessarily true. Remember, I tell you, I'm, I'm from, remember, right, right. When I was seven years old, dad and his buddies, they went to go see the, uh, the mothership land at Tucson in Philly. Mm. So people, it was just, it wasn't really a West Coast thing. It was George Clinton, they're from Cincinnati, Ohio. Right. Yeah, right. So that's a, thing but the funk was just it was a movement it was really hip and cool it was for the for the pimps the hustlers right you know so it was p-funk was big in new york but it was a certain type of people that was rocking it it wasn't the traditional uh boom bap the b-boys right right but it was happening at the same time so you know if you was if you was hustling a little weed on the side and you probably was listening to a little P-Funk and, and doing a little, you know, your your drug of choice on the side, on the low. Sure. That's probably what she was in the back room. Right? And then when, you know, when you're out in the public, yeah, yeah, word, James Brown, hip-hop. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, it just so happened that 
on the West Coast because you know we 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 the next had our own type of funk. We just adopted it. So really, um, Shock's affinity for P funk came up and traveling and coming from New York to Tampa, probably more than Tampa, mm-hmm. and then mm. coming out here where it was totally accepted more so. Because right. if you listen to Shock's old demos, he was, you know, if you listen to the first D, I don't think, I think it was either on the 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 cassette or the CD when he had, when he's rhyming out from, um, what's that break? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget the name. On a break. But uh, he has a record off of that. That um, that song, mm-hmm. and then he had some other. Then it, it was all straight, you know, break beats and and whatnot. But uh, also got to remember too, Shock was a musician, right? So he kind of infused because it was happening at the same time. The cool music that liked hip hop loved P Funk, and vice versa. Shock brought it together. You know, he bought his musicianship. If he was going, if he was going to bring his musicianship to the game, he wasn't going to be playing uh, no Kenny G or you know whoever right, right. or uh, uh, fucking uh, I don't know Lionel Richie or the Commodore. You know, even though the Commodores was funky back then too. Absolutely, but you get what I'm saying. Absolutely, right? Yeah. So it wasn't like he came and caught the funk. It was he bought the funk with him from wherever he came from because that's mm. what he grew loving. You know, and and Shock or Shock did a lot. He was in. A, he had an R&B band. He, uh, like you said, he had a little a little chick that he was on and traveling around the country with for a little while. You know, he he he, he was in the streets. Facts. Before all that, so you know, so happened that we we all loved it. We all love the I wasn't mad at it, but even in Digital Underground, we all kind of bought an element, a certain element. We all loved hip hop, but an element that the other didn't bring in council. So Shock was more, he was just like crazy people. Right. Funk. Right. You right. know, Fuse, you know, he, he, Originally from Syracuse, New York, mm. but his record co- collection he had ACDC and Van Halen in his record. You know mm. what I mean? Wow! So he could bring that and a lot of uh, some jazz fusion records. Child right. Master J, his his father was a, was a, a renowned jazz musician. Right. So he bought all of that into the. Me, I was just your traditional b boy. Right. You know, I, I can set off Spoony G and. Treasures Three and the Crash Crew and, and I back to it right. as well as you know how how grew to love reggae so I bought that into the Raw Fusion records so mm. we all had these things and it was like we just came together and never long at the time went to it mm. you know Shock was the Shock was the Grand Wizard so naturally. The, the initial record, like a lot of funk, and used the way that it hadn't been used before because he was and he, he he fused it together kind of perfectly. If you know, a lot of people say. 
Absolutely. Hell yeah. So, so how do we go from, um, you know, from you guys deciding on the, on the sound of the group, you know, making your demos, doing the shows, to getting on the records, uh, uh, radar, so to speak, and signing with them? Well, um, so Underwater Rhymes did really well overseas. I think Germany it did really well. And I guess it did all right because Atrian Gregory, who, who was the manager and, and who had teams the label that Digital was signed to, mm-hmm. it did. It was the noise that, you know, somehow Tommy Boy offered us a single deal. So Do What You Like was the first single wow. on Tommy Boy. That's crazy. That's my And record that record... So the deal was, if we sold, like there was a certain number of records, if that single sold, then we would be offered an album. And it did it. You know, I think it was like 50,000 units or something like that. So if the single sold 50,000 units, then we would get the the album deal. And kind of like the rest is history. Wow. Um. Yo, that's crazy. I, I wanted to just backtrack for a minute because what I find so interesting about digital is that, and especially now that you say you were from like the Philly East Coast area, Shock is from, you know, the East Coast by way of Florida. You guys live in Oakland. NWA is, you know, at that time was ushering that gangster music sound. You guys had this unique, you know, vibe and fun loving, just, you know, flow about you guys you know where did that come from the whole shock g and the humpty hump thing which was super original at that time you know where did the whole vibe it was just it it was our it was who we were so in the bay area it's really diverse and you know from 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 berkeley to the panthers to hate ashbury to whatever it's a diverse area and it's kind of like an area where literally you could be yourself, you know, right. and do what you like. So none of us were hard rocks. You know, I probably was around that time, you know, in the streets a little more than any, any of the rest of them. And I was, I was in the hood, but that's not what I wanted to, 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 to portray, you know, and to give you a little history of, of kind of like, um, people don't know that we basically the reason we exist is because of NWA meaning that we Atrian Gregory the way he got his money he was the road manager for NWA right and Easy E you know basically gave him rights to like a merchandise deal and he made his money and was able to start his label and he signed Digital Underground from from the money he made with NWA. But while he was doing that, he was still the road manager for NWA. So we were around NWA a lot. And I know for myself, I would when they would come to town, like I said, we'd be around and you know, we'd be in a club or whatever or wherever the venue, and I would hear people like, Yeah, I'm a gangster they really are you know what i mean so every i'm sure every city they went to nwa was the barometer of let's see how gangster they really are or if we can out gangster them then that must mean we really gangster 
So it's, I kind of learned early that, you know, whatever you put out there is what you're going to attract. Absolutely. So I wanted to attract pussy and kicking it. No doubt. <laughs> <So> that's exactly <laughs> what I was trying to put out there. Like, you know, because because you know where I, where I, where I was from, right. I could easily have said the same, saying the same thing. Facts. Their stories is my story. Right. I'm from the hood, but I had no interest in having nothing but dudes with pistols in their pants waiting to, waiting to prove something to me. I'd rather have chicks throwing their panties up and offering me liquor. When I get off stage, no doubt, no doubt. Right. So that's why. So you know, I spoke it into existence, or at least tried to. Right. What do you What do you guys attribute your live show to? Because it almost is like 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 a parliament set, like where you know you guys have backup dancers, you know, props, uh, the dual personality of Shock G, you know, yourself fused with the DJ Annex. Where, where? How did you guys put all that together for the live for the live edition, so to speak? Um. Once again, that was that was just our true personality. Like I said, you know, I'm 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 coming from that OG hip hop of seeing, you know, show routines like you know, like the um, Crash Crew and and Fantastic Freaks and shit like that. Right. Um, Fuse was a was a was a student of the DJ, and then you know, in shot. Absolutely, was a was a fan of just the antics of the Parliament stage show. So it all went to us saying, "Let's have a party on stage. Let's 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 go out and and give them something to see as well to hear, you know, as opposed to um, and we wanted to stand a lot, stand apart. Um, you know, we didn't want to just get on stage and walk around holding our stuff and whatnot. And then the other thing that was really important is that, remember, we were in Oakland in the Bay. Right. And outside of, outside of, at the time, Too Short and MC Hammer, maybe Tony, 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 mm -hmm. there was nobody to say, this is how you do it. So we didn't have a blueprint. We just kind of winged it and said, and, and so we just had to be ourselves because nobody said, this is how you do the show. This is how you're supposed to stand. This is how you walk back and forth. This is how you do this. This is, this is, this is. We didn't get any of that. Mm. Wow. So we just kind of, you know, we were goofy anyway. Yeah. So in the rehearsals, we'd always, we just, we ended up cracking up and making jokes and playing around. And that's what our stage show morphed into. Wow. That's who we were. Incredible stage show. You know, you mentioned, um, yeah. You mentioned do what you like. I love do what you like. You know, the pool party, our guys running around, you know, introducing Humpty and just a fun video. It, it, you got a lot of love over here on the East Coast. Do what you like was crazy. The Dougie Fresh sample. But um, okay. but then then Humpty comes out and that shit just shakes, shakes the whole fucking game. But man, talk, talk a little bit about the make, how the record came about, you know, the concept of the whole Humpty and Shock G thing. How, you know, just talk a little bit about how that whole thing came together and, and how, you know, where did that record take you guys in terms of status and industry? Well, the Humpty record, uh, you know, basically it, it, it was, well, for one, when we did the record, it was one of the last records that we did for the album. Right. And we 
went to Europe. We were in Europe for two months before that even came out because we were mm. we were popular in Europe. So before Humpty Dance came out off of Do What You Like, we had toured Europe for two months. Wow. And we were, you know, the album was coming out right as or right after we came back from Europe. And I had a job. I went back to work because right. I didn't know what was happening. And then one day I'm just sitting at my job and you know that and at our job we had a cassette player so I used to play our demos or our records or whatever so I'm at the job and the Humpty Dance comes on and I didn't pay it no mind because I'm thinking okay somebody's just playing the tape right nah. and my guy was like yo Ryan that's your record on the radio and I was like wow. oh shit it is <laughs> crazy <laughs> shit is out because we knew we knew it was a hit right and I was Okay, here we go, and that shit just took off, and it was, it was incredible. Incredible, man. Um, it was incredible. Yeah, that record was crazy. I know you get these questions a lot, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this. Obviously, in the video, you and Pac, mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying, how does you know Tupac come into the fold? I know it's through Layla Steinberg and all that, but I read, I either read or heard you in an interview saying that when you met him, he was with. Uh, one of his guys from his group, um, and what's the guy's name? Ray, Ray something. Am I right? Um, Ray Love. Ray Love. Yeah, Ray Love. And that, uh, you know, both of them rhymed. The was in the middle street. Both of them rhymed, and you thought, um, skill wise and talent wise, they were they were both equal. But Pac had that something that you know you just can't put your finger on that star quality. Talk a little bit about me and Pac right. and, and 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 what you know what that something was. If you can quantify that, you know, so to speak. Okay. Uh... Can you guys do me a favor? Sure. And it's actually going to be better for the interview. Okay. Because I'm actually getting ready to jump in the car. Okay. So it'll be a little more quiet. But give me like two minutes. Just stay on the line. Gotcha. But just give me like two or three minutes so that I can get myself together. And put, Absolutely. You know, get my son situated in the car. So just, just hold on for a second. Cool. All right. Yeah. All right. Yo, yo. Yo. Hello? Good brother. Yes, sir. Yeah, it was popping. man. All right. Back in effect. Question. Yes, sir. Um, so we was uh yeah. talking about uh meeting Tupac and uh how, how that went yeah, down yeah. and what you saw in him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So um yeah, man. Pac he um like I said, he was in strictly dope. And they were dope. But uh Pac just had a, a certain thing about him that he, he just had a, a a charisma like he could, like when he was in a room, you were paying attention to that. And I don't know, but it was it really was true. Uh, um, yo, as far I know you're real close to the. Oh. I mean, skills. Yeah, okay, yeah. Sorry, I couldn't hear you guys. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you now, guys. Yeah, now we can. Yeah, yeah. Hello. Did we lose him? It was more the way he his personality and and his three kind of like you know he, he you know somebody so practically they feel that you. Money B breaking up a little bit. Are you in a bad area? 
Possibly. Uh, oh, yeah, you riding. Ellie, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Let me try to get him again, I think. I think we might have lost him. Hold on. Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah, I got you. Yeah, we hear you now. There hey. we go. Okay. Nah, I was just saying, he just kind of had that thing. Right. Where he spit, you know, he was spit so passionately that you just kind of felt it. And he would freestyle just as passionately as he would, uh, his written rhymes, mm-hmm. which was unique. Did you hear me? Yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah, got yeah. You. we got you, brother. Um, yeah, I was just saying that he was he would freestyle just as passionately as he would um, his written. So, did he did he talk a lot about you know the whole Panther movement? Him, you know the. The, the baby, being a baby panther and, and you know did, he, did, did that come up in his, you know when you guys talked a lot because I know you guys were close you were roommates on the road I've heard you say before was that you know was that high on his list when, you know in, time, in terms of priorities back then um he talked about it and he knew that uh you know he told me like and he knew my my dad and everything uh, so we kind of, we kind of, he would talk about it. Mm-hmm. Huh? Yeah, he breaking up for some reason. Yeah. Hold on, hold on. Let me try to call him back. Yo. Yeah, yeah, I hear you now. Yo. Yeah, I'm here. All right, yeah, yeah. We just haven't. I guess you're just in a bad area or something. Um, yeah, yeah. Continue. You say you talked about it and, and what? We lost you after that. No, I was just saying that we we talked about it, and so we had an understanding. He knew where I came from with it. So whenever he would bring up or have you know talk about his ideologies or the things that he wanted to do, mm-hmm. it wasn't foreign to me because. He had a mindset of the people that I grew up around, right. you know. So for people that was, they like, nah, this sounds crazy. You can't bring the community together. It didn't sound crazy to me because that's how all of my, um, you know, the people that raised me, a lot of them, that's how they thought, and that's how we were raised. Right, right. Such right. crazy, uh, Money B. You know. What was crazy about that time also is that, you know, Digital Underground was so huge. You guys had such big pop records. And then all of a sudden, you and Fuse decided to go back to your roots, to that hardcore sound, and do Raw Fusion. Um, What made you decide to do that so quickly while the group was still blowing up and still being a huge success to spin off to to, to make that album, which is so underrated to this day? Well, it wasn't like we decided to go back to our roots. It's just we finally got a deal. Mm. <laughs> to do, to True. do our music because remember what I told you we all for Digital Underground Digital Underground was more like a, a huge production team so you couldn't even be in the group unless you had aspirations to do your own thing you know so we came in the group Tupac you know we all came together knowing that we would eventually go out and get our own deals and do the music that we wanted to do so 
Tupac didn't all of a sudden decide after the same song that he wanted to go and do a Tupacalypse Now. Right. That record was already made. You know, it was already in the making. Just when he got a shot to, to do his own record, that's what he was going to do. So we were lending towards Digital Underground, but still had, you know, we were still um, honing and working on our own style that once we had our own opportunity, we were going to do the music that we always did. Right. So we didn't, we didn't like switch gears and go back to something. It was just like, okay, now we can put these songs that are really 100% us. Because the Digital Underground songs were, you know, 40% Shock G, 20% Raw Fusion, 15% uh, Tupac, 5% Schmoovy Schmoove, right. and 2.5% Chop Master J. You know, everybody contributed, along with the other members of the group. So when, you know, No Money, that was Pee Wee and Big Money Otis, when they did their record, they just did their Richmond style of flavor that they had. You know, there was some of it in the Digital Underground, but then you got 100% of it in the Go Money record. You got 100% of Raw Fusion in a Raw Fusion record, whereas in Digital, you got maybe 15 to 20% of Raw Fusion because we were just uh, pieces of the puzzle as opposed to doing our own puzzle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I want, you know, one of your biggest, well, one of Pac's biggest records, and, and, and it's also... Whoa. You all right? Sorry. <laughs> nah, nah. Yeah, now, what are you... Big-ass chair on the freeway. I almost hit this. Oh, Jesus Christ. Um, Go ahead. No, I was going to say, um, yeah, the I Get Around record, man. One of Pac's biggest records, you know, also, it, it felt, you know, it was a Pac record, but it was, it felt like a digital record, you know what I'm saying? You guys were on it. You guys killed it. Um, heard a bunch of stories about that record. Um, talk a little bit about that. I heard that that was originally a digital record, but uh, you guys didn't even know exactly what to do with it, and then it got passed to Sophia for a minute, and then, then Pac. And so talk a little bit about that record and how the whole record came about, and what about that beat, you know, bounced around so much with you guys? Yeah, it was just a dope beat that Chuck had that we, everybody loved the record, but nobody wanted to fuck it up so it just kind of moved around for four or five months and uh finally ended up with Pop and Pop turned around and asked us to, to be on it right right so you know it kind of kind of helped us out in the long run you know what I mean you got you got him on that too. I heard you say that you told him you got him on it. I think you got him on that. You killed that, and I'm not just saying it because you're on that record. Like definitely. Yeah, I did. I told him right after I recorded. You <laughs> <laughs> definitely like, got him on that. <laughs> um, like, I got you, nigga. <laughs> Word up, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, man. Um, talk a little bit about you know over the years. Um, you know, uh, just just pop. I don't want to talk too much about Pac. This is going to be my last Pac question, but just the, the evolution okay. of Pac, you know, him changing, you know, he, he from the digital days to when he got with the, the death row days. You know, talk a little bit about that and your relationship with him once he came home from jail. And he seemed a little bit jaded and bitter, rightfully so, but did you have a relationship with him, you know, during those death row days? Um, not really. Like, I never was around death row. 
we talked on the phone. At that point, he was in L.A. I was still in Bay. So we would talk on the phone a couple, you know, we talked on the phone a couple of times. Because he was only on death row for nine months, right? Right. So, you know, in that nine months period, we talked on the phone a few times. He invited me down to some things I didn't go down to. And we physically seen each other twice in that time period. Oh, wow. So I don't have any, like, I don't have any real personal insight to death row or what was going on right. around that time. And then when I would see him or talk to him, because we didn't talk as much as we used to, but when we would talk, we would talk about good times and catch up with, with each other as opposed to me prying into what's going on in a situation. Absolutely. Right, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Money, talk, talk a little... like if you don't... If you hadn't seen... Go ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead, brother. No, I was just saying, you know, when you... People have to understand, it's kind of like if you have a... Uh, a cousin that you grew up with and you don't see him often when you get together you don't want to talk about his bad marriage you just want to talk you just want to hang out with your cousin and, and enjoy right. him so well, we never talked about his bad marriage hmm. I hear that um, you know talk a little bit of, uh, I, I, talk a little bit more about like the process of recording a a raw fusion album, making songs like you know, like Wild Francis about police shootings, uh, number one with a bullet, compared to the way you would record, you know, digital underground and stuff like that. Was it more organic because you were with Fuse from the beginning, and did that did those albums just come out like like a lot easier, so to speak? Well, they they did because they were they were all me and Fuse's ideas and visions. You know, it's kind of like. So, and because we had been together so long, it did kind of flow a little bit easier. But, um, you know, so, say for instance, in a, 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 a song like Kiss You Back, you know, or even same song, Shock would just say, here, here's eight bars, this is the concept. Do it. Or what can you add to it? Or what do you think about this hook? As opposed to me and Fuse making songs from scratch and there are visions but I will tell you from working with Shock and doing the Digital Underground record it helped me infuse with constructing actual songs as opposed to just rapping on a record right right um so it, it helped to polish us up a little bit cause we were really rough huh. working with okay um but obviously, I mean, it goes without saying that Wild Francis comes directly from my experience growing up in the Black Panther Party. Absolutely. Break, but it was, it was really about, you know, it was like a collection of personalities and, and experiences that I actually knew about. Absolutely. Absolutely. You guys dropped... The, the, the Stally album or whatever and then you come with Hootified Funk in 94 and then no more Raw Fusion albums you know 
why, why, how come there was no more albums after that with you and Fuse? Because we fell out with, with the label. Oh, okay. And we refused to do any more records with them, and they kind of waited us out. To the kind, it's kind of like Le'Veon Bell. They didn't want to give us the <laughs> They didn't want to give us the <laughs> And we, you know, we sat out. And then the contract ran out, and then they just didn't fuck with us. You know, they, they shelved us. Couldn't sign with nobody else. And then it just went bad. Wow. That's crazy. Talk, you know, you know what's crazy about that time, especially for, for for a place like Oakland. You know, we had you guys. You had Raw Fusion. You know, there's Pac. There was E40, Too Short, Looney, Saphir, Hobo Junction, Hieroglyphics, and everyone had their own type of sound. You know, like Saphir, Hobo, Hiro were more with the East Coast boom bap. You know, you guys were with the P Funk. E40, Too Short had their own. They were really funked out. Looney's as well. What, what what is it about Oakland where you had all this diversity and all these different sounds that could coexist and and all you guys still had this kind of unity towards each other, which was really refreshing? Because like I said, you know, it was such a diverse area, so you could be who you are, and you know, like like you said, Souls of Mischief, Dale, Spice One, Short Hammer, Us, E Forty, Sally Cell. Uh, JT, the bigger figure, we all had our own sound, but we all appreciated each other's sound. Like, we coexisted and we supported each other because it was like, it was a great movement. And there was no, it was, I mean, obviously in hip-hop is always competition, but we weren't necessarily competing against each other because we all had our own lane and we were confident in our own lane. And we all saw the value in each, each other's style but not necessarily had to copy it, you know? Absolutely. Um, Sex Packets, huge album, like we said, you know, major singles shook up the game. You know, then you go into the next album, um, Sons, Sons of the, of the P, P, man. You know, talk a little bit about the making of that album and your mindset and what you guys were trying to accomplish coming off, you know, the huge success of, of Sex Packets. Obviously, the, the, the second album... Is always the sophomore jinx. I'm not even gonna say sophomore jinx because I don't. We didn't have that. Oh, you did. So I, so I don't. I don't know about that. But I will say, when I hear people say it, it's, it can be the hardest, and it can be difficult. And I understand why there's a sophomore jinx because you got to think about it. Everybody's first album, right, is the is the culmination of their life's work. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? It's like you've been working your entire life to put this first album out. Now, the second album, you have to put it together in a, in a matter of months. Right. At the same time, if you're riding high, you're touring, you're doing this, everybody's getting money, they want to spend it, and they're getting pulled in different directions. So it's a little bit trippier to do that, especially for a group. True. With all different personalities. So, you know, I will say, like, the thing I remember about. Sons of the P is that at that time, that's when Tupac got his deal. Raw Fusion, we got our deal. Go Money got their deal. So we had Starlight Studios booked like on a 24-hour basis for like a month. So we were all working on our own albums and working on that album at the same time. Wow. So if... So it was just a non-stop studio session 
and it was just overlap. And we were all in each other's sessions. But if, you know, certain songs I remember just, I wasn't present for. Right. Because there was just so much going on. And it wasn't a, I wouldn't even say it was necessarily a, a bad thing, but, you know, like for Sex Packets, I remember when every song was recorded and every kind of like everything that happened around it and how everything was put together. Where in, in uh, Sons of the P, you know, I was present when I needed because I needed to rest to get ready for the Raw Fusion session. Right. Which led into the Tupac session, which would lead into the to the Digital Underground session, but also, you know, I'm 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 now I'm buying my first car and Right. Situation, you know, there's different situations. I'm, i got my apartment now and I gotta worry about this, that and the other. Whereas the first album everybody just kinda lived with each other. You know, it was a struggle. We was trying to put the shit together. We was all trying to put the dream together. Right. Right. That's crazy. Oh. Yeah. And people don't understand that. Mm. And I'm sure that happened with every group that ever put out a hit record. The second right. one is like everybody's, you know, you know, you hear the story, everybody living in one apartment, now everybody yeah. got money, you tore yeah. the world. Like you now just you, won a championship. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So everybody's decompressing a little bit, but you still got to keep it moving. Yeah, and everybody's no. with it, but it's not the same. It's, it's the, the, the hunger is a little less. Or should I less. say it's not? I wouldn't say the hunger is less. It's right. just not. You have the hunger, but you got other shit going on. Yeah, too. scheduling. Yeah, just the, your life and how does you know George Clinton coming to the fold for the second album? I know not only were you guys you know using him as an influence with the sampling and everything, but he actually did some work on that project. Were you around for any of those sessions uh, when him coming in there? And talk a little bit about that. That must have been a crazy experience. I was around because, you know, like, basically George adopted Shock as, like, his, his one of his sons. Right. You feel me? He was really, really dad. That's why his sons are the team. Right, right. Really, you know, he claimed us as that. And, um, because I get, you know, he said we did it right. And, uh, you know, I remember um, uh, Michael Hampton and those guys. Like, I was around a few of the sessions, but I wasn't around all of it, you know. But then we did we did some songs for him as well. So, you know, I remember more kicking it in the sessions as opposed to specifically the songs. Like, I was on that song, Sons of the Peak, which was, like, my favorite song on that album. And I remember that. But then George did some other stuff. We did some other stuff with him. And it, it all kind of became a blur. You know what I mean? Right, right. Okay, okay. Yeah. Crazy. So, you know, that album also, you know, you guys obviously avoided the sophomore jinx. Kiss You Back was a whole, was a huge song. Yeah. You had same song before that. Um, you know, and, and then you guys, you know, then you guys do the movie. And, like, you know, back then that was huge. You know, like, only, there was only, like, maybe Kid and Play, you know, really doing movies back then. And you guys were in the Dan Aykroyd movie, Nothing But Trouble. Um, how did y'all, how'd y'all line that up? And, and how, did you feel like that was kind of like the culmination of everything? Now you guys were in movies and shit? Not really, because I didn't, I didn't, 
I never really aspired to be in a movie. So that was just another thing that happened. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, because we have been doing our Shaquinio Hall show. You know, we were doing TV shows and little parts and sitcoms and shit. So it was kind of like, it was big, but it wasn't like, ooh. Right, right. We made it. Like, this is it. It was kind of like, all right, we were here on set. That was dope. Now, what's the next record? What's the next thing? Right, right. And, and you got to remember, in 92 or 91 when we did the movie, I was 21, 22 years old. So when you're that young, you just think it's just going to keep happening. Right, so, yeah. I didn't, I didn't, you know how they say the, the uh, youth is wasted on the young? Yeah, no question. Mm. You just take everything for granted. I was just like, whatever. What <laughs> <With> a bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Is it true that Dan Aykroyd was at one of your shows and asked you to to actually do the same song uh, for the movie or or some some some? I heard a story something about Dan Dan Aykroyd being involved with you guys somehow, like before the movie came out. Well, yeah, he wanted he wanted to see us because he wasn't that familiar with us when Tommy Boy suggested us to be in it or whatever. And he came to the show and he was he saw how we got down. He saw the stage show and he was like, "Yes, this is it." Did he stick out like a sore thumb, Dan? Dan, I quote in the middle of a hip hop show. Not really, because our audience <laughs> was like everybody. Diverse, you know? yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, that's crazy. You. So how do you we know, go we, from? Uh, yeah, we had, a, we had, a, we had, we had, we had the two W's from from the beginning. I always say, women and white people. People, that's <laughs> it. <always> <laughs> that's <laughs> why y'all went platinum. That's who buys the records. They was always there from the beginning. Facts. Word. <laughs> so how do we go from uh, from Sons of the P, you know, Kiss You Back, you know, you still getting success, the album went platinum, and then you guys come and make the Body Hat Syndrome, Return of the Crazy One, you know, bringing back Humpty into like the into the fold, like front center. Um, what were you guys trying to accomplish with the Body Hat Syndrome? Were you trying to go for more of the same, or were you trying to go for a little edgier sound? What was going on during that era? I think that you know, the one thing, the one, the, there was only one constant with Digital Underground, and that was change. If you notice from album to album, it's always new members. The, the style was different. Like, you know, Sex Packers didn't really sound like, like Sons of the Pea. It was, it was a progression, and Shop was a musician, and he liked to experiment with sound. And I think with Body Ass Syndrome, he wanted to go for a grittier type sound. And I'm sure the label wanted us to just continue to follow, follow the formula and keep making, like, pop hits. And Shock didn't want to do that at that time. And, you know, he went against the grain of what they wanted, in my opinion, which I love the record, but I don't think we didn't give Tommy Boy the hit that they wanted. Right. And that was kind of the beginning of us kind of part ways, I believe. Would you have done, looking back on, on that album, are, are you happy with the final product? Are you happy that you guys were rebellious against the label? Or, or, or looking back, would you have wanted to have like that Kiss You Back single just to keep the momentum going, so to speak? Um, I mean, I don't know anybody that would say that they are glad they didn't make a single. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, that's a, kind of 
kind of a question. Like, of course we wish we had it, but I'm not I'm not mad at the album that we made. Like, I I, I wasn't going, no, this ain't the record. It was kind of like, we made the record the same way we made all of our records. We just made what we felt. Right. You know? And that's what that's where we were at that. When that's the, the rec, that record we made was the space that we were in at the time that we made it. Right, right, so we right. didn't sit down and, and try to, like, we didn't try to come up with this. We didn't sit there and say, we got to make a platinum hit and make Humpty Dance. But we didn't say, we got to make a gold or, you know, we just made what we were feeling. No doubt. And that's what came out. You know, obviously, we wish one of those records would have been that big hit. But when I look back on it, you know, I loved... Uh, um, Return of the Crazy One. That shit was sick. Crazy, yeah. yeah. You know, I thought Alpha. that could have been a. I All thought right. that could have been a, a hit record. Should have been, yeah. Time. Um, what else was on that? You know, Brand New Sweater was a was a record that I liked. Um, what else was on there? What's up with the love? What's up with the love? Goddamn. Yeah. yeah. That was a hit record. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, that was a big one. That should have been a big one, absolutely. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, 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 we made that record with the same, like, we loved that record the same way we loved Kiss You Back. It just right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Money B, I want to switch gears real quick from the music. Yo, the Going Way Back show, what's good with that? What's going on with that? Um, Going Way Back show funny because I just had a conversation about that. Um, I mean, it's still there, and I plan to revisit it. Yeah. Because, you know, it's going way back. It ain't like it could ever go out of style. Right, right. Because it's just about our, 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 our classic hip-hop. But I kind of stepped away when the Money Being Young Hump movement really started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, we're doing podcasts and shit. It wasn't... It wasn't... Uh, Monetarily, it wasn't doing for me. Okay. You know, because put a lot of work into that show. Yeah, definitely. Right. Produced very well, absolutely, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I did everything. You know, I did the artwork. Yeah. I produced it. I was the host. I, you know, I got the guests. Yeah, I enjoyed it, man. I, I definitely host. enjoyed it. You know, I, I put a lot into it. And, you know, you know how it is with these fucking stations and shit. They weren't yeah. trying to give it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You said you plan to revisit it digitally? Yeah, I actually thought about kind of revisiting a little um, just straight up through social media and in the, in the, in the live right. uh, platforms and see how that worked until I figured out a place to where it was uh, worth doing. Like, you know, just for the culture, it's worth doing. But yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's like right now. You, know, I get, you heard that little boy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got, got you. I got to feed him. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So, what makes so you know you, you were working? You know, you had Raw Fusion in the early '90s. You had Digital Underground. You know, you guys finally then decided to do some independent albums. Future Rhythm. Who got the gravy? And then, and then you decide to do a solo album, Talking Dirty. What made you decide, you know, like, 
10, 10 some odd years later to finally put out your own solo project, your own vision? Because it was brought to my attention that I had never done that. Mm. You know, because, you know, like you said, Digital Underground was a collective. Raw Fusion was Fuse and Money B. It was never a Money B record. And I was like, you know, before I get out of here, I got to at least do one. Right, right. And, and, I, and I was still, you know, and I, I knew that I could still do it. You know, I had been, I had been, I, I had never stopped working on music. I just hadn't put anything out. So I got with um, my guy Mike P, partnered up and, and put our put our heads together and, and made this record, which I thought was a really good record as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, just brushing up and doing a little bit of research on you just to get you know some of like the nooks and crannies of your career. I came across you you did a book, The Hype Man. Talk a little bit about that. I'm gonna cop that. Uh, immediately, I didn't. Need, you know, I love to read. Reading is one of my well, favorite things. Talk about that a little bit. Okay, so it's my it's my autobiography, and um, it's talking about my life. Like I told you earlier, like you know, it's not just a it's not just a autobiography or a a a hip hop tale. It's it's an American history tale. Like I said, I'm. I'm bringing you through, taking you inside the Black Panther Party. Oh, wow. I'm bringing you inside the, you know, Oakland in the mid to late 80s when when crack, co- crack cocaine hit the scene. And, just, and I'm, I'm taking you inside of really what it wow. was like to sell dope and, and have pistols pulled on you and being laid out on the ground and the next morning have to fly out to do a show with Tupac and Freaknik. Wow. Like that. So... You know, from from seventies to the eighties to the nineties and hip hop to the two thousands, being in the adult film business. Now I've done a lot of things. Yeah. So I'm I'm just telling you about it. And in, in the book, it's gonna have never never seen never before seen photos. You know, just from my personal photos, just running around with Tupac, um, just me growing up the audio book and with the book is going to be a, a a full soundtrack that's that's that you get free with the book what is this coming and, out and 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 the, and the you know i got songs like on that i got a song with chuck d got a song nice. with and, and big Hutch from above i got dale from sapien nice um, you know a lot of raz Kaz, Nice. Oh. Um, the Outlaws. Wow. You know, all people that are, are part of my life story. And they're all on the soundtrack to the book. Right. But, you know, and, and I, I say really it's more than just a book. It's a multimedia offering. Like I said, with the photos. That's dope. With the soundtrack. Um, I'm going to do an audio book. And who doesn't want Money B to tell his own story? So fact. kind of like you got a lot you know, to tell. Absolutely. Um, there's a lot of lazy motherfuckers that don't want to read. Yeah, I, I try not to be one of them, man. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I wish I was like that for the longest, but I'm back back on my reading shit. Um, yo, real quick, I know Elio, Elio want to ask you something, but 
Love Bed, man. I, that record is a banger record, man, and it kind of personifies the whole. You know, you talk, you love to talk about the hoes, and you know that you know be the fun loving, you know, MC you are. Um, you and Short and Young Hum, man. Talk a little bit about that record, and talk a little bit about Young Hum because I wasn't even aware of him till till recently, man. And uh, talk a little bit about that, that whole that whole thing. Um, Young Hum is the protege of Humpty Hum. Young Hum, Shotgun Humpty Hum. Um, you know, you know, what what our slogan is, he was chose by the nose. You know, shotguns under me. You're right. And he actually, he actually, um, mentored him to get the part in the, in the All Eyes on Me, the Tupac biopic. Right, right. Hum actually and and Humpty Hump in that movie. So in that movie, we're a digital underground. Right. And um, but also Shock was like, you know, Shock took a hiatus from really doing a lot of shows, but he's like, yo, you guys go ahead and carry the torch and, and, and keep the funk alive. Do it the way you want to do it. And that's what we've been doing. Nice. And then we finally, you know, we've been touring. You know, we we're the touring representation of digital underground right now. Mm. Like we are rocking doing all of this to put a record together. Because, you know, Young Hub is actually a dope MC. Yeah, he's dope, yeah. yeah he, he can freestyle like a motherfucker. He can do it. He's a total package. And so we just kinda like jumped in the studio and started putting some shit together and, and it and it and it came naturally. Yeah, that and, Ratchet and, uh, Love is my shit too. Yeah, that shit is fire. Yeah, so that's the mechanics, right? So yeah. the mechanics, they, they, they produce Right You Love. They also produce Come Here with Two Shorts. Come Here, yeah, yeah. And you know, I play the record for Short, and normally Short is like, you know, he's notorious for sitting on the record. Like, you know, uh, you know, take even if you're paying them. Yeah, yeah, Like, yeah. my guy's like, man, we paid him 30 grand. It took him a month to do the record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I played the for Short. He was like, man. I gotta go to Miami Friday. Call me Thursday. Call the nigga two days later. He was done. So he's feeling it crazy. Nice. Yeah, and he was present for the video and everything. So we just rocked it out. Nice. That's amazing. Wow. So actually, you know, we're actually re-releasing that record like right now, along with Slow Stroking, which is the new single. I don't know if you people booked the video for Slow Stroking. I said it again. I, I couldn't hear that last part. You was breaking up a little bit. What'd you say? Did you guys see the video for Slow Stroking? Nah, I didn't see the video. You, oh, you got a video for that shit? Oh, shit. Yeah, go to go to the Money B Young Hump YouTube. Slow got Stroking. You. That shit's dope. Slow Stroking. Got you. Got, that's dope. Are y'all, is it going to be a full-length project? I know you said you're touring and you know he's kind of he's yeah, holding right now, up. Right now, those are the singles that are out. But we got like 30-something songs in the can. Nice. And we're probably going to hit, hit y'all with something before the end of the year and then something right at the top of the year. Nice. 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 And, um... I know you're touring, or you were touring with Scarface a little bit, and what I, what I found interesting about that is that, you know, he would bring you out on stage, but you were also helping him out on the business end with the merch and, and whatever, you know, the tour needed. Talk a little bit about running with Scarface. And, yeah, and I, was, I was managing his merchandise. Dope. And I helped him get his, you know, uh, because I, mean, I I basically control the Digital Underground merchandise. Right. So, you know, his manager at the time, well, I think he's still his manager, Rico, who's also from Oakland. 
you know, he saw how I was living with mine, and, and, and because we, we're all family, basically. And I just jumped on and helped manage his merch. And while I was out there, he was just putting me up on stage in the segment, and we just put a little medley and rock out together. Very nice. Yo, I think what's dope about um Digital Underground, especially in like the later years once you guys got off Tommy Boy, um, especially with the Who Got the Gravy album, you know, you guys made it a point during that time it was a lot of like East Coast, West Coast uh issues going on. And you guys made it a point to have artists like Biz Marquee, KRS, Big Pun on the yeah. album. Um right. You know, how for you guys, how important was it for you just being the elder statesman to say, you know what, we've always been about having a good time, we have a good time with anybody, so let's get all these brothers on this project that we respect so people will look at it and, like, see that there is no animosity and whatnot? Yeah, because um, there never was. You know, just that East Coast, West Coast shit was just fabricated, man. It was, like, I've never been to New York and Premier look at me like oh because now it's now we beefing no yeah. we was hanging out if I seen Buster it was cool Sam you know it was just some some it, it was it was it was fabricated you know right. it, was, it was two crews that were beefing with each other and then some magazines and whoever else blew it up and you know I hate to, you know hate to say it but most of us are sheep. Right. follow we we do what we, we do what we're told or believe what we read or what we what we hear and so it, it really turned into something out of nothing really you know because pop was my guy right but that didn't make me hate big you know i met big, big group pop did Pac have a problem with that i know because you know he he was on some destroy everybody who's down with my enemy shit did he have an issue about, you know, you being cool? Because cool? I know he had the problem with Snoop, and Snoop said he's cool, Puff, and all that. Did he have an issue well, with you being cool with him? He probably would have, but it never came to that. Right, never, right. During that time, I, 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 I wasn't around either of them. Got you, got you. You know, I seen, I seen Big in New York one time. I was in New York, and they... I went to a club and they thought it was, it was Big's birthday. They thought it was going to be a problem. But it wasn't. Like, everybody around was sweating it, but Big wasn't sweating it. I seen him, dapped him, say happy birthday, and that was that. Get to pushing. No and, and me and fucking uh, Lil C's had drinks and fucked with hoes. Yeah, no doubt. Good Lord. That night. Do but, think? Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, like, like, I, I never, like, that was never an issue with me. But I just saw how, how it just turned into this thing. And, and you know, I'm sure Shot believe like I was like, like, come on, this is not real. Right. And let's, let us show you that it's not real. Absolutely. Do you think with social media, it would have been... It would have been worse or better back then because I, I feel like with social media, you know, you could jump right out and, and, and diss somebody immediately and show it to the world. But also maybe the story gets explained a little bit better, you know, that's that, you know, that it's not an East Coast, West thing. It's a Pac and Big thing. Do you think social media would have hurt or helped it back then? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I would like to think that because 
you know, because everybody read the stories through the outlets. Right. You had a few magazines. Double XL and, you know, uh, I think Vibe was just coming out and The Source and blah, blah, blah. So between, you know, five or six publications, they so-called spoke for the whole hip-hop community. Whereas now, if... If, it, if, if if a magazine or a blog says something about me, I can get right on my Instagram live and say directly to my fans, this ain't true. Yeah, it's true. So it probably, you know, it probably wouldn't have gotten to that level if everybody had their had their own voice and their own outlet that could speak directly, individually, that I don't think it would have grown to that. Yeah, um, money. I appreciate you spending the time with us, and I know I know you got a role. I just got to ask you like two more questions, man. One, a little bit about sure. the Pac movie. Thank you. Um, I I know I heard what you said on Vlad about it. Um, talk about like how how deep was your involvement in the in the picture, and um, you know I know it's a movie, so it's not going to be exactly accurate. You know, you got to fill up some space and, and make a you know mold the story around it. But why do you think right. it was it was some people who's received, uh, I don't want to say bad, but some people had problems with it. You know what I mean? Why do you, why do you think that is? Well, two things. You know, people love Tupac so much that, you know, they want, they want what they can't have. Like Tupac, he wore his, he wore it on his sleeve. He told you everything. Right. So you weren't, you see in that movie, you weren't going to learn anything new because that, that story was told, basically put together by interviews and, and, and statements and, and things directly came from Tupac. Right. And interviews from people that knew him. So I think people kind of, at least in my opinion, I think some people compared it to the N.W.A. movie where, you know, at the time when N.W.A. was out, they were they were a little guarded. You didn't know who they were behind the Lokes and the Compton Hats. You know, they just, they kind of kept this image up and you didn't know them personally. You just knew them as in the gang N.W.A., right? Right. So in the movie, they let you behind the scenes and you kind of learn shit. But like I told you, I came up around NWA, so all that shit, it was the same to me. Right. I knew everything that was going to happen. Right. And I knew when I saw the movie, I knew that the shit that, that wasn't true, the shit that was fabricated, the shit that was way off, the shit that, you know, people that were close to it that were mad. Like, this is bullshit. But it was a good movie. Right. You feel me? Yeah. Right. Even though I knew the shit that that was fake and that, that that wasn't true and that they that they kinda embellished, I still thought it was a great movie. I did too. I I loved I but loved the Tupac movie. It, I thought it was dope. I watched it the same way, but I'm saying a lot of people was like, Man, they didn't even tell us nothing. It was right, nothing right. to tell. Yeah. Because he told it to you already. Yeah. Right. It's so well documented. I think people Yeah. I, 
I heard some of the criticism was, oh, they were jumping from, from they weren't staying with one thing too much. Like they didn't, they didn't focus on this Baltimore time too much, and then this Oakland time, and the Panther time, and then the digital time. But you had to get through it. They right. wanted to tell the whole story. That's what I'm saying. Now, you only had two hours. Yeah. I always, I always said that for those people, there's room for 20 more Tupac movies. Yeah. You feel me? Because he, he, he was so multifaceted and he, and he touched so many people's lives. You know, you know, there, there's probably some chick he got pregnant that he had get an abortion. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. You can make a movie about those two weeks with Tupac and how, what happened and what it could have been. You know? Absolutely. Or, there could be a movie about about Baltimore, specifically, right. where you can get deeper into it. There could there could be a digital underground movie, absolutely. Yep, that needs to happen. You I know, think. yeah. So, yeah, it did kind of run through it, but to tell that whole story, you kind of had to do it. Right. That way. I think a lot of and people are doing miniseries because of that, like the new edition story. They're giving you a little bit more time, you know, three night, you know, miniseries or whatever. They're giving you a little bit more time to tell that whole story. So, but uh, I, th- I thought, I thought the movie's incredible, man. Um, I gotta ask yeah, you this. I, I, I thought it was a good movie. Yeah, I yeah. thought it was great. I loved it, man. I thought it. To me, everything I've heard throughout the years, it depicted that almost to a T. Um, yeah. Right. And I, I tell you this, like I said, the way that they they made the the. the, the Scenes look and the, and the locations. Yeah, it was like, it was exactly how the place, the, like the places that I hadn't been that Pop told me stories about. Right, it was like exactly how it looked like how he told it to me out his mouth. Wow, so, that's crazy. And obviously, with the digital underground section of the movie, I was a consultant on it, so you know it was as true to form as it could be. Absolutely. At the same time, tell a great story, you know. You and the outlaws, yeah. Um, what's your take on on the murder rap, Great Kading uh, documentary? On the what? The murder rap, the great, the great Kading murder rap documentary that came out last year. Wait, which one was that? Great, Great Kading, the cops. You got the the the, the confessions from Keefe D and all them. Did you, you get a chance to see that one? Nah, I didn't see that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I was curious to see what your take was and shit, but um, Money B, man, I was pre- I in it? Nah, it was a documentary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nah, I was the one where they supposedly got the confession and all that, but um, yeah, we'll leave that one alone, man. Listen, Money B, man, I want to I want to thank you uh for spending this time with us, man. I appreciate you know you, you doing this, man. You're you're a legend and an icon, and uh. I just want to say thank you very much, man. It's an honor. Thank you, brother. It's been an honor. Oh, man, I appreciate you guys. Thank you. Hey, I'm just glad somebody recognized Wild Francis for a while. All right. That's what's up, baby. Absolutely. You already know. All right, y'all be. And when you get something else out, we'll get you back on, man. Thank yeah, you, brother. Yeah, check out that um, slow stroke it. If y'all ain't playing it, hit me up and I'll got MP3s, everything. All right, that's all what's right, up. absolutely, we'll do, all man. Right. Be safe, brother. All right, fam. Peace. Bye. Yeah, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Money B.
Crazy. Crazy, crazy. And that's how we start off the second phase of the Drop Gem Empire with a Bay Area legend, Digital Underground. You already know. Um, yo, I love it, man. And this is like one of our bigger guests because this is a dude who had platinum albums, platinum singles, uh, you yeah, know, absolutely. next to icons. It's incredible. Absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, 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 man. That's dope. Episode 101. Oh man, I'm gonna stop counting now. It's just now it's just it's just a rise to the top. Um, now he gave us a lot of great stuff, man. Um, I know he appreciated uh, you asking a lot of those uh, those questions about um, you know solo stuff and the raw fusion stuff and and some of the digital albums that weren't as um, um as uh, as big as you know the first two. So I know he appreciated that a lot. Hi, I'm John Lonnie, but the place for That's mom. someone's who's that thing in the back, bro? I think he's still on a line. I hope you know senior living better than the experts at a place for mom. It's a free service, and we help thousands of families find the right place for their mom or dad. There's a place. Yo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's just sign off. This is, you know, I got to do some surgery to this shit. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, I know. It won't be too bad, but yeah, we got to cut it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Oh, shit. Y'all join a blank. Hold on. Um, uh, this is the great thing when you're not live. You can do shit like this. Um, Word. Let's go. Um, all right. So let's just do focus. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. So let's do it like this. Yeah, so, you know, that was an incredible interview with a. Uh, with um the legend uh, Money B and yo it's getting late we had to get him on the late time because you know we were calling from from Cali and shit so yo we're gonna end it off early and um yo catch us on the next show next week um we should be having Mike Hands you know what I'm saying recently signed Death Squad artist um so we'll talk to him about that it's the recordings everything the the thing he went through with the fundraiser and the kidney and all that so yeah. it's gonna be an incredible interview so definitely check that out. And um, yeah, I think we're good, brother. So that you know, on to the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, stay focused, stay positive, stay blessed. All right, peace, party, and, people. Uh, ha ha. See you later, and we'll catch you in the next one. Don't kiss these bitches in the mouth. <laughs>